Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Fake Widow podcast. My name is Danny Janae. I'm a poet and writer based out of Pittsburgh, PA. I am your host, your confidant, your guide to creative things happening in and beyond the city. So a little bit about me and this project. The symbol of Fig Widow comes from my love of two things. Figs, the fruit, and widow spiders. Black Widow specifically. I myself am a fan of all spiders, but black widows are the most feared, revered, mythologized spiders, so I tend to lean on them in a symbolism way. Um, But if you really want to know, my favorite spider is the wolf spider. My favorite tarantula is my baby boy, Della, who's over there. Hi, Della. Um, But yeah, I started Big Widow as like a business creative venture probably about a year ago. Um, combining those two things with the help of some of my friends uh, when I was trying to figure out a name for my reading series in my um, website. Um, And that's how Fig Widow came to be. Uh, Figs for sex, abundance, fertility, and passion. And a Black Widow for cunning, artistry, and patience. Um, And then, of course, the webs from the spider to hold everything together and something for the inspiration to cling to. Uh, this podcast will be a place where I talk about the highs and lows of creating an artistry. I'll come each week with a topic, something about what I'm reading or the problems I face as I write, um, and also the media I'm consuming, so books, movies. I'm a huge movie buff, um, specifically horror movies, and since it's October, I'll be like talking a lot about the movies that I've been seeing in theaters um, and also out of theaters as well. Um, as we get deeper into this thing, I'll invite guests, uh, writers and poets, artists and illustrators, musicians, dancers, etc., to talk about their process, um, what it looks like to be a person thriving or trying to thrive in their field. Um, some of these people will be my friends, others will be people I just met or people I want to get to know, but know as like a artistic or, um, sort of local celebrity type person. And I'll close out the show with some thoughts and some recommendations and probably some musings about poetry and quoting some of my favorite poets um, because that's what I normally do every day of my life. Um, Yeah, so after a quick break, we'll uh, get back and start talking about what I want to talk about this week, which is uh, reading. As I said before the break, I want to talk about the subject of reading um, and specifically how reading and what we read sort of shapes the process of our writing. Um, For me, I mostly practice as a poet, um, though I delve into fiction and nonfiction occasionally. Um, But yeah, I stick to poetry pretty much um, and also... uh, will find myself reading a lot of poetry, which makes sense, you know, I want to study in the field that I'm most interested in excelling in. So I read a lot of poetry. I used to have an old professor um, at Allegheny College where I went, and he would always say that to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader. Um, And that's so true. Uh, It always sort of mystifies and baffles me when I find a writer or a poet or like anything who doesn't really spend a lot of time 
reading. They spend a lot of time writing and going to events and performing, but not enough reading. And that's always something that's really interesting for me and that I like to sort of ponder over and observe like how that like lack of studying is what it really is. It's studying how that lack of studying affects their writing. Um, when I talk about reading, I'm not only talking about reading stuff that's in your field um, or in the practice that you find most fulfilling. I also want to talk about reading um, things that uh, maybe you don't really like, maybe uh, genres that you're not really that interested in. Um, I myself uh, used to write a little bit of fiction and I've moved away from it a lot. Um, I've been trying to work on a scary story for a while um, or only a couple weeks to be honest. Um, so I've been reading a lot more fiction um, and I don't write fiction really. So um, it's been interesting for me to observe how reading that fiction has affected my writing. Um, so I have uh, a friend who wrote a novel um, that was released recently. It's called Mary Lou is Everywhere. It's by Sarah Elaine Smith. Um, and you should pick it up from your local bookstore. There are lots of places in Pittsburgh selling it. Like, um, I believe it's at White Whale still. Um, it's at Classic Lines Bookstore. I saw it there a couple weeks ago. Um, and probably like Amazing Books or the Big Idea Bookstore. Um, if you want, you can buy it online as well on her website. Um, but yeah, that's a, a great book um, that I think because of Sarah's background as a poet is written in this like exquisite language um, that I really um, find gets the wheels turning in my head. I think that's the beauty of going to readings and reading a book as a writer is that in a way that can, in a negative way, be construed into plagiarism, when it's done correctly, it's sort of this mobilizing action that builds this wondrous like rush of energy inside you where it's like, I gotta get out my notebook, I gotta get my pen, I gotta start writing right now. Um, and also it could usually, uh, for me, it's like, there's this mo moment where listening to someone else read their work or reading someone else's work sort of dislodges an idea that's been stuck or tumbling around in my head for a while where um, really studying the other way that somebody puts their words together is like, oh, that's what I've been trying to do. That's um, a construction or um, a language that I've been trying to get at in my own writing. And now I see how someone else has done it successfully and I want to not copy that, but learn from it. And that's the big thing with um, avoiding plagiarism um, is not copying, but learning and observing. Um, so yeah, I don't wanna get too deep into plagiarism talk right now, but I wanna come back to it later. Uh, but yes, I wanna talk about my reading habits. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to this story of being very avid readers in our childhood. You know, we like all had this sort of collective memory of the scholastic book fair that happened when we were in elementary school and going to those things and with our with our couple dollars and being so excited about getting these books that I want and like 
I was a big fan of um, Junie B. Jones uh, and like Amelia Bedelia and all those sort of things. But as I got older, I really saw an interest in poetry, but also these um, fantasy books, these books about uh, witches and witchcraft um, and, you know, teenage girls that tap into their magical powers once they hit a certain age. I'm trying to remember the name of those books. Um, let me see if I can find them. But there was a specific, um, what's that called? A uh, trilogy of books about a girl that like uh, had magical powers that I read. Oh, God, I was in love with those books. Um, and I just read them nonstop. Uh, I grew up in Garfield, uh, which is a neighborhood in Pittsburgh on the East End. Um, and there was a library down the street from us in East Liberty. Um, and I remember the day that I got my library card, I was so happy. My mom couldn't take me to get it. So I went with my brother's girlfriend cause I needed an adult to go. And I came with like my little report card for my address, um, like proof of address and, um, a little school ID. And I was so excited to get my library card. And then I went in there and I would spend almost every day sitting in the library and reading a book through and through, just like coming down after school, reading a book from start to finish, and then going back up to my house. Um, or I would uh, sometimes take a book home. Um, I just like to read in the library though, just to sit in those little chairs and hide in between the aisles and just read and read for hours. Um, or I would hide the book. Like I didn't want somebody else to take it out, so I'd hide it and like mark the page that I was on and keep it somewhere where I knew where it was, but nobody else would know where it was. Um, and then come back to it the next day. But when I took a book home, it was like this very special, beautiful moment of um, understanding that like there was a world beyond my life that was wondrous and magical and big and beautiful and that I could go there anytime, anywhere, any place. Um, I could tap into this alternate reality and be a part of something that was bigger than myself and allowed me to escape in a way that wasn't harmful in any way at all. Um, yeah, so uh, I feel like that's a lot of people's stories that I know, whether they're artists or dancers or just accountants or whatever. A lot of us started as readers that read voraciously for a long time, and then it sort of got lost. I think for a lot of us, it got lost around college because we weren't reading for fun anymore. We were reading uh, hundreds of pages at a time to uh, go to class and like talk about what we were reading or write an essay about it. Um, and that sort of formulated reading as a chore, I think, for some of us, definitely. Just like not being able to, I think in some ways, not being able to enjoy what we were reading as much because we had to do it. We had to do it. Um, as an assignment, as homework, um, to get a grade. I think it's the real meat of it is that we read to get a grade um, and not to really gain knowledge as much. Um, so yeah, I feel like after some of us went and got two or four year degrees, that reading fell off. Um, we started focusing more on like real adult things like getting a job, um, finding an apartment, paying bills, you know, finding a partner or whatever, um, really settling into adult life. Um, and now we're, well, I'm 26. 
So I feel like after you've done a sort of number of schooling and um, those big adult milestones, it's sort of like, well, what do I do now? Um, and for me, a lot of that has been getting back to reading for the love of it, um, reading to just enjoy language, um, the worlds that are in books, the characters, the characters who I empathize with and love and sometimes hate with a passion. Um, so I was mentioning my friend Sarah's book earlier, the main character in that book, Cindy is like someone who my heart aches for, like really aches for, but also she makes decisions that I'm like, girl, why? You know, like that's such a, a mark of a good book where like someone's doing something where I want to like grab them and shake them. But I also am like, I love you so much and I want you to succeed and I want you to do the right things. But like, you're fucking up, you're doing the wrong thing, you know, um, but still reading through it and coming back because there's something about the way that person writes um, and the way that they craft their characters that makes me not want to run away when I'm confronted with something that I don't like. Um, so yeah, uh, going back to what I was talking about, about reading it, reading patterns and reading habits as adults. Yes. Um, so now that I am pretty much done with school, um, I've been tossing around the idea of getting my MFA. Um, but right now I'm done with school. Um, I have a number of jobs. Um, so I try and find time to read during my day, um, through different modes. I usually like to start my morning with reading a meditation book or like a book of little mini meditations. And I do that first thing in the morning when I wake up and then go through the whole process of like, um, dressing, getting ready, brushing the teeth, all that stuff. Um. And then I read a book on my commute to work. Um, right now I am reading Beloved by Toni Morrison, the late, great Toni Morrison on my way to work. I'm about finished with it. Um, so I start my morning on the bus with that. Um, and then when I'm at work, at my um, one of my jobs, I will listen to audiobooks. And audiobooks are great if you're the kind of person that wants to read but can't necessarily uh get into like books in text um or um you struggle with reading because of um learning disabilities or um cognitive issues um so like reading a text would be difficult for you reading words on paper is difficult for you audiobooks are so good for that because you can adjust the speed um a lot of books are read in this sort of like what my friend calls poet voice so like slow um, lots of enunciation in places, um, very like, uh, poetically is the best way to describe it. Um, and so in audiobook apps, you can adjust the speed to like 1.25, 1.5, whatever feels right for you. And then you can get through a book even faster. Um, and sometimes they're read by celebrities, which is cool for some people. Um, and you can hear the voice often of the person who wrote the book. So I, I recently listen, listened to um, Hunger by Roxane Gay, and she reads that one, that audiobook, And that was like 
I think she has a great voice. I like to listen to her talk um, because of her voice, but because of the things she says as well. And that was a wonderful opportunity to like listen to that during the day and like try not to cry uh, while I'm typing away. Um, yeah, so I do that during the workday, audiobooks during the workday. And then at night, um, well, I um, read my commute book on my way home. And then I get home and do work for Fig Widow. I do work for um, Lunar Phase, which is my editing business. Um, and then I end my night with poetry. I try to read uh, a couple of poems before I go to bed, as well as write some, revise some. Um, so I'll read uh, usually, if it's a bad night, probably one poem, but I try to get at least five in. Um, right now, I just, just got this book, Odes to Lithium by Shira Ehrlichman. I think I'm saying that right. Not only is this book gorgeous cover-wise, it's just like one of the most beautiful covers I've ever seen, but like the poems in it are not in the style that I usually write my poems. Um, and so reading other people's styles is um, really formative for me, but also, God, they're so beautiful. These poems are like, mm, they're delicious is really what I want to say. They're like challenging and delicious. Um, Lithium is about uh, Shira's bipolar diagnosis and, you know, taking lithium as um, medication for that diagnosis. Um, and it's really such a poignant view of mental illness and what it's like to have um navigate the um uh the the health system with the mental illness as stigmatized as bipolar um and dealing with family friends lovers and people that have these preconceived notions about being mentally ill um emphasis on the ill i think um there's a different connotation to uh, mental illness and there is to illness you know we talk about it I think a lot more now but um, if someone has cancer or diabetes or um, asthma even that's sort of like approach with a lot of compassion because it's believed that it's it's not that person's fault you know it's something that was bestowed upon them unfortunately but with mental illness there's this stigma of like crazy you know of uh, that person is crazy and so is a threat to me um, and everything that I know about being a living human um, and we as a culture have stigmatized uh, diagnoses like bipolar for a long time of people that have that tend to be like serial killers or um, act violently um, and that's completely untrue um, and I think this book that I've been waiting to read for, I feel like so long is doing a lot to, um, voice that frustration with dealing with, um, stigma and also, you know, this drug that is a lifesaver, but also affects the body negatively in a number of ways. Um, but also taking control of the narrative of being someone with a mental illness. Um, that I think is done so perfectly. Um, and I'm only a few pages in, probably about 20 pages in, actually 30. Yeah, I'm 30 in, and I want 
to finish reading it like today, but I think I'm going to give it a slow burn um, and really come back to it over and over again because uh, it's just so wonderful. Um, shout out to Shira. This is a fucking good book. Um, I'm trying not to cuss on this podcast. I don't know if that's against the podcast rules, but I can't help it. I got a dirty mouth. Um, I'm also reading The Carrying by Ada Limon, which is I'm about done with this too. It's also beautiful. Um, so if you like poetry, I suggest those two books vehemently. They're really good. Um, so yeah, that's how I like to end my night with a little bit of poetry. And usually I uh, will read some poems and then write some poems and read some poems, write some poems and trade off like that um, until it's time for me to go to bed. Um, it, this is just my process. It's probably not one that will work for you. You have to find what works for you if you're going to be trying to um, sort of reshape your relationship to reading as an adult. Um, with the schedule that I have, this is what works, especially with audiobooks. Being able to listen to them for like my eight hour workday is what works for me. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit about my process and like getting into shaping your process. Um, but we're going to take a little bit of a break first and then I'll be back. And we're back again. Thanks for waiting. I needed to get some tea. Um, but yeah, uh, now that we're back, I wanted to talk about forming your own reading habits as an adult and also revisiting the topic of plagiarism since it came up earlier. Um, so yeah, uh, really the process of finding your own reading schedule is knowing your own schedule outside of reading um, and being a creative. Um, if you're like me and you have multiple jobs, um, maybe you have kids, lots of different engagements that require your attention. I swear by audiobooks. Um, I used to be the kind of person that thought audiobooks weren't real reading because you weren't sitting with like a physical copy of a book and turning the pages and all that romantic stuff. But to call myself out and to call other people out that think that way, it's a really ableist way of thinking because there are people that can't see and physically read the words that are on a page. And so for them, audiobooks are great and probably one of the only ways that they can read. Um, so yeah, I feel like audiobooks are great for people that have a lot of moving book, uh, moving parts in their lives um, that can't necessarily sit down with a physical copy of a book and read for um, hours on end. Um, so if you're not, if you haven't introduced audiobooks into your life yet, I highly recommend it. Um, also, what is your work schedule like? Um, are you a person that does a typical nine to five? Are you in the restaurant business where you're working four to 12? Are you um, someone that does a night shift of like 11 to 7 a.m.? I used to work that shift once upon a time. I was a housekeeper at a retirement home. Um, and that was a lot to deal with. During that time, I listened to a lot of um, podcasts, not so much audiobooks, I wasn't into them yet, but to pass that time 
I would just sneak my headphones in and listen to people talk for hours and hours until I got off and could go home and shower and sleep. Um, so if that's your schedule, you got to figure out where in your day you can fit in a moment to read. And it doesn't always have to be hours long session of reading. It can be um, 15 minutes. If you have 15 minutes to read, why not just use it, you know? Um, I will sometimes um, spend or um, parse out a book into different sections of like, okay, I'm going to do 20 pages today and then 50 on this day when I have more time. Um, and then maybe this day I'm not going to read, but then tomorrow I will. Um, and that's a great way to not only find time in your day to read, but also to pace yourself. Um, I'm sure many of you can relate to being the kind of person that when I read something that I really like, I can go and get through it in a day or two. Um, and then you're left sort of longing for the feeling that you got while reading that book. Um, and you're thinking and dreaming about the characters in the book. Um, and all that sort of like romantic stuff that I tend to do a lot because I'm a poet. Um, but if you uh, want to pace yourself a little bit more through a book, you can do that sort of marking off of like, okay, 20 pages here, 50 there, 30 here, not on this day, some on the next day. Um, and also with that in mind, choose the days where you know you have the least amount of engagements. Um, for me, those days are usually Tuesdays and Thursdays um, that I have the most free time. Um, Saturdays are my writing days, so I will spend um, usually uh, early morning to late afternoon writing by myself, um, sometimes reading if I can't find the, the will or the, um, the drive to write. So if you know that you don't work weekends, maybe schedule some reading time for your weekends. Um, if you have, if you're in the restaurant industry, which a lot of my friends are, a lot of people that I know are, and you have a schedule that is released, um, it isn't, um, like an easy, like nine to five, Monday to Friday schedule. And it only gets released maybe like a week before you start working. Um, then when you get that schedule, just find some time in there to like sit down with a book or while you're bussing tables and like cleaning up or opening the restaurant, shutting down the restaurant, slap on an audiobook, get some words in, fill the space, um, fill the time with something that's really positive. Um, yeah, I also want to briefly talk about being an active reader. And for me, that's about not just sitting down and reading a book word by word, but also stopping to appreciate the architecture of a book and the words that are being chosen, the words that aren't being chosen. When I read, I will often bring with me a pen and those little like sticky note tabs um, so I can mark off a page so like, oh, this is something that I really that really resonated with me and I want to come back to it. So I'm going to mark it off here, maybe underline, circle, highlight, um, if you're into that. Uh, if you don't own the book that you're reading, then you can go the extra mile and um, 
write down the page that the passage was on. Um, put your little sticky tab in there if you need to. Um, and then before you return the book, type that up in a document, write it down on a piece of paper of like all the passages that you really liked, that you wanted to reflect on, maybe talk to other people about. And then use that as a way to stay active as you read and not just let the book fly by you. Um, also another good way to stay active as a reader is to talk to somebody about what you're reading. Um, I have a friend that is a part of like numerous book clubs, but also like a, a book subscription program. And so we talk about books a lot, especially the ones that she's reading. Um, she'll often let me borrow some of the books that she's reading and, um, talking to somebody about the plot of a book, the characters that you like or don't like, um, the scenery of the book, uh, the history of the author, all that stuff is another way to keep your mind active while you're reading. Um, and even after you're reading so that a book doesn't just disappear into the bajillions of thoughts and responsibilities that we have every day in our lives. So it's something that you can remember and call on and that you can quote when you're at a dinner party with a bunch of fancy smart people and just whip out a line from a book by um, Federico Garcia Lorca or something like that. And you just like quote one of his poems and then everybody's so impressed by you. And then you are the, the, ball, the bell of the ball, as they say. Um, but yeah, that's just a trick that I like to do when I'm reading. Um, and I also uh, wanted to revisit this topic of plagiarism because I feel like it's important as a writer to talk about ways to avoid that. Because um, I feel like within the last year, especially the poetry community has been kind of rocked by a couple instances of like pretty blatant plagiarism. Um, I know that a lot of poets, um, I won't say a lot, some poets think that like you could just slap a after XYZ on a poem to say that like this poem was inspired by this person and think that it's still not plagiarism when it is. Um, so just wanted to say very briefly that if you're reading someone's work and you find that you get that um, jump of energy or like this inspiration to write, um, write down what you're thinking, go through the process. Um, if you feel yourself quoting line for line what somebody else has been saying, then I wouldn't recommend doing that. Stop yourself before you get there. But if it's something different, write it down. Um, and this is where revision comes in heavy. I think revision is the real secret to not plagiarizing other people. Because if you just write something down and don't touch it ever again, um, you very well could have just copied somebody's work, could have just stolen from somebody's um, ideas, their intellectual property, all that. Um, and never revisit it again so you don't know. So revision is that process of like, is this an original thought? Is this my um, brain power behind this? Or is this somebody else's work? Um, when you go through that process, you can you know, link to the person who inspired you to write this line and revisit that part of the um, the poem, the story that you read that you um, like so much and compare and contrast and see like if you're straight up copying or if you're just um, being inspired by what they wrote. Um, 
that's for me how I avoid plagiarizing other people is revision. Revision is so important. I'll talk more about revision next week because um, next week I'll be talking about writing. But I just wanted to quickly revisit um, plagiarism because it came up as I was talking earlier. I wasn't really expecting it to. But it's important, I think, talking about being a writer that reads um, because it's uh, a risk that we all take when we um, like someone's work um, and want think to ourselves like, man, I wish I would have written that or that's so beautiful. I wish that I had thought that way. I wish that I wrote this way. Um, and then some people will jump to like, well, why not? I'm going to write this way by literally taking these words and pretending that they're my own. Um, and that's just, um, not only is it lazy, uh, it's a lack of creativity. It's a lack of, um, love and drive for your work, for your genre, whatever you're writing in to take somebody else's work and claim it as your own. Um, it's just, um, really shows a lack of creativity in my opinion um, and a lack of respect for what you're writing and the people that are in your field um, your colleagues your comrades whatever you want to call them um, taking that work is really disrespectful um, so I just wanted to say that real quick um, and then uh, yeah so that's it for this episode um, thank you for listening um, I hope to see and hear from you next week. So next week I'm going to be talking about writing, um, like the physical process of writing, what my writing process is like, um, how to go from blank page to full manuscript, to full poem, to full, um, story, um, how to get past writer's block, which is the thing that I hear from a lot of writers starting out are writers that um, took a break to pursue different career practices but want to get back into um, writing as a field um, just getting past that like sluggish um, or like very physical block of I can't write down another word are there words that are stuck in my head that I can't get down onto the page um, so yeah that's going to be next week's episode um, Thank you for listening. I will see you in a week. Uh, keep reading. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the Fig Widow podcast. I will be back next week talking about writing, talking about my writing process, how I write, when I write, how I push through writer's block, and all those sort of things. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at bellbivdeho. That's bell.biv.deho. My website is figwidow.com. Fig, F-I-G, widow, W-I-D-O-W.com. Where you can see where I'll be performing next. Read what I've already published and see what I'll be publishing in the future. And if you're still on Facebook, you can follow my artist page at Danny Janae Poet. Until then, save spiders, eat fruits. Peace.